Bienvenidos a nuestro segundo episodio de Watchame Testimonios a Resiliencia. Yo soy Rosario Domínguez. Y yo soy Nancy Domínguez Fred. And today we're going to talk about deportations and family separations, um, which is a topic that you might be familiar with that might have affected you directly. Yes. Yes, yeah, so in today's episode, we have invited Patsy Montesinos. Um, actually, Patsy used to be Nancy's uh, student yes. in high mm -hmm. school when Nancy was a high school teacher. So um, I heard a little bit about her um, story. Obviously, today we're going to go deeper into it. And I thought it was very impactful. So we really wanted to share her story as our first like guest. So I don't know, Nancy, since you were her teacher, you can share a little bit about her bio if you'd like. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll read her bio <laughs> and then I'll share a little bit about um, Patsy from my perspective. And thank you so much for being here. Yeah. I like Rosario said, your testimony, your story is so powerful and I'm so proud of you for how much, you know, so much that you have accom mm -hmm. accomplished um, basically almost on your own, right? Um, so the, the her bio is, um, Patsy is a senior at the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill. She's a part-time reporter for Levels, Chatham, adjacent to Chatham News and Records, plus that serves the growing Latinx community. In the past, she was named one of the five ProPublica emerging reporters. She has also served as a producer and anchor for her school's Spanish and English language newscasts, produced a radio show, and reported for her school's sportscast. Her coverage of Venezuelans, which she wrote from Colombia, won a national award for the Society of Professional Journalists. In addition, her content of a series of campus crimes won a regional award from the Society of Professional Journalists. Batsy was born in North Carolina to two Mexican immigrant parents. Um, and she moved to Mexico at the age of 10 and returned to the U.S. around the age of um, 15, mm -hmm. correct? Um, so, um, and from my perspective as a teacher, Patsy mm -hmm. is a brilliant, intelligent person. Um, es una luchadora, mm -hmm. and she always, always figures out ways to get where she wants to be. Mm -hmm. Mostly, like I said, on her own, so I'm really, really proud of you. Um, I'm so excited to learn more about your story because I know parts of it for, like, as being your teacher, mm -hmm. but I'm really... Um, Soy muy emocionada de saber un poquito más and for others to listen to your wonderful story um, and how you have sort of um, figured out ways to stay here, um, being away from your family, which is really hard and just how you're navigating life and, and almost finished with your undergrad degree. So thank you so much. And yeah. So um, these accomplishments that you just heard, they didn't come easy, obviously, for Patsy. Um, Patsy's dad got deported when she was in elementary school. Um, and so, just like, like you heard. So, Patsy, bienvenida. Gracias por aceptar esta invitación. So, we kind of just want you to start telling your story. Um, how old were you? What, what was that moment like? And kind of what happened afterwards? Yeah, um, thank you for having me. Um, it's kind of funny because the other day I was like going through my old documents in Mexico when I went to visit my dad over December. And I like found a certificate that I got from like your classroom. <laughs> and like, it was like, I think I was like the, the most like smiling or something. <laughs> and, and the other one was like the most brave. And I was like, oh, like I like just from being from your classroom. But yeah, so I was born in Concord, um, North Carolina. And my dad immigrated to North Carolina, like before my mom. And they actually had like my sister who's older than me she was born in Mexico. So when my dad left, like my mom was already pregnant. And so after my sister was born, when she was like around three, I think my mom came and then my sister stayed like with my grandma and then they brought her. No, I think she might've left like when my sister was only one, but they brought my sister to the United States when she was like two, I think two or three with like, a family's like um birth certificate because like back then it was like super easy so they just like flew her in with another person's birth certificate and then I was born when my sister was three here in America and actually my dad didn't even want more kids because he already had like daughters from a previous marriage so that's pretty funny <laughs> um and yeah I mean we had like a normal life like I remember my parents opened a business when I was like young and like we had we had a like nice house like a middle income life I remember like the house we lived in like it was a brick like you know like kind of like that American dream with the white picket like like fence and then like we had like a pool in the backyard we had like 
a little park, a trampoline. We even had like a garage in our backyard that we turned into like a guest home. So like for like two immigrants, you know, that came here with nothing, like we were doing pretty, like pretty good. And I, like family would always come over to our house. And like, I mean, I just have pretty good memories like back in our old house. And then like my parent, my dad wanted to open a business. So he sold that house to his like sister. And then we moved into some apartments and he opened like right down the road, like five minutes, we could walk to it. He opened like a Concord, like it's called Concord polishing, like Concord chroming and polishing. And it's still open today. And so um, like when he started his business, he like wanted to become a citizen. And I mean, that was always the goal, like, you know, to become a citizen and stay in this country. Um, so I think like somewhere along the lines, um, the lawyer filled out the paperwork wrong. And I don't know like the exact story, but like he like, because he was applying to citizenship and like, I think they filed for asylum and Mexico doesn't fall under asylum. So um, that's when like he got deported. So I was like 10 um, when it happened. And I just like, I remember that day like very clearly, like it was like, it was just a normal morning. Like I was getting ready to go to school. It was the day like, so it was the day of his birthday, but the morning of his birthday, which is even crazier to think about. Like we were like, it was like him and my sister share the same birthday. So like that day was like six in the morning and he was like getting ready to go to work. And that's like when ICE like came. And so we were sleeping in um, my parents' room. No, we were, we were in our room. So we had a little bunk bed and I used to sleep on the bottom and my sister used to sleep on the top. And my dad, when he walked outside, like they were already waiting for him. So he didn't even like turn on his car. So they just like took him and then they came like and knocked on the door. Um, and then my mom opened it and she like, you know, she didn't know what was going on. Like, I mean, I just, I could imagine because at this point, like we're still sleeping and on the like, um, like sofa was like two of my cousins that my mom like babysat. Um, so like, I could just imagine like what was going on through her mind because then they like entered our room. And this is when I woke up, like me and my sister was like, they like pointed flashlights like at, in our eyes. And that's how like, we were like, what's wrong? Like, I mean, we're just kids, right? Like I was seven, my sister was 10. And yeah, like that's when we came out, like he was already arrested. Wow. Um, how did you feel in that moment? You were a 10 year old girl, you know, um, what, what, do you remember what your feelings were in that moment when, when you saw that happening? Yeah, I was like pretty confused at first. Like I didn't know what was going on. I mean, it was a moment that like, you know, most immigrant families talk about, like, unfortunately, like it's something that like my parents had already like sat us down since like I was young to tell us that like if one day they were taken away they would never like really tell us why or like I remember I was so young I didn't really understand like the difference between immigration and criminality so like at that time I was like oh like my, my dad's not a criminal like why are they taking him and so like I kind of always knew about this moment even though I couldn't understand it because I was so young mm -hmm. and like thank God they left my mom. Cause I remember my mom was like so scared. And like, I remember the officer telling my mom, like, we're not going to take you. Like, we're only here for like your, like him, which is like, you know, something that they don't do now. Like now they like, you know, if they go somewhere, they pretty much take everyone. So yeah. I'm really like, and it's hard. Cause I'm like thankful that they left my mom, but at the same time, like they took my dad away. So I mean, my mom still forced us to go to school that day, which is crazy. She was like, y'all are still going, like, go catch the school bat. Like, you know, Latinos are always like, no matter what happens, you have to like work for what you're like, you're here for, which is like a better life, a better education. Can you walk us through how your life changed? Because you said that you had a pretty like middle class life. You were, your parents were business owners. How did your life change after your dad left? Um, and how did your mom, you know, she now all of a sudden became like the person the, the head of the household like how did that transition affect your lives yeah honestly so much like so much change like you know for most like statistically 
because I'm doing like a thesis paper on like deportation and the effects it has like on children and like statistically like most dads are deported which are like the head the head of the household so like financial instability like my mom you know we barely saw her anymore because she was like juggling like two to three jobs to keep us like afloat and like although we still had the business like my dad wasn't there to run it so it was just like chaos I would say like we had to like leave the apartment because we couldn't afford it anymore so we like moved into like the garage of our old home and I mean I don't remember how long we stayed there but um it just like didn't work out so we had to move out and we moved with this um lady that was actually my mom's like long distant like aunt and her name was Ama. She was like grandma. Have you ever seen like Coco? Like, yeah, no. <laughs> like, like Mama Coco's daughter, you know, how she's like harsh, but she's also really sweet. That's like Ama. And she looks like her too. Like she had her apron and like <laughs> gray hair. So we moved in with her and um, she allowed us to like live with her. And my mom paid rent. You know, we shared like a one bedroom. I mean, we went from like having separate rooms to a pool to, you know, a playhouse, like to like having one room with one bed for like, my sister, my mom and I, and she babysat us like during the week, she walked us to like the the school bus. Like she basically became like our, like our mom while my mom was away. And so the agreement between her and my mom was that like, she would babysit us for free if we would go help her like sell at the flea market. So like, I mean, we were seven and 10, we had like to start working too. So we, my sister and I would get up like every weekend at four in the morning to go like sell at the flea market. And, you know, back then my sister was a little older than me. So she like sat, like she would by herself, like set up like three tables, like carry big boxes. Like she sold like most of like clothes, you know, like bras, pants. And I only set up like one table and it was like hats and like chicharrones. And I probably ate more chicharrones than like I sold because I was like, I mean, I was just a kid, like, you know, forced to like become an adult and we would go like every weekend, like we had a job. It was a, I mean, the flea market was probably like, you know, the best, like I have really great memories there. I feel like I made the most out of it. A lot of the people there like became our family. Like I remember there was like, the girl that sold like bags, she used to give me free bags. The guy that like sold vegetables would give me like a free mango every weekend. And then like the Asian guy that like sold toys, like he was like my best friend. I used to go like, I got my first like pair of wheelies there for free. And like, I used to ride like up and down. So it was like, I mean, it really felt like family, but I feel like the the effects of deportation like could still be seen because that guy who gave me my first pair of wheelies my mom worked him worked for him like because we would work with a ma but my mom would have like work with a like separate family so that she could like you know make more money and he like got deported that's what my mom told me like not like maybe two three years back and like he, he left like his daughter and like his family and it's just kind of crazy you know when you're part of like an immigrant community it affects you personally sometimes or sometimes you're the undocumented or your family or the like all around your community and you're just like constantly having to go through this trauma of like who's next like who's gonna like yeah who's next so um I know at some point um, you came to Illinois and that's how you met Nancy. Obviously, she was your teacher. So um, at what point or why did you end up coming to? Because you left, right? You left her. You left. She left to Mexico. Oh, you guys know. decided to go back home. OK. Yeah. So when to I Mexico, was I mean. so okay, we saw we got to see my dad like one more time. Mm-hmm. They took him to like an Atlanta prison. Mm-hmm. And like this is why it's so hard for like young boys and girls to distinguish between like criminals and like being an immigrant is not being a criminal and I like I don't care if like crossing the border you know we should decriminalize crossing the border and it's just so hard because I remember going to that prison and like just like having like this bad image of like my dad like is he a criminal like why are we here and that was the last time we got to see him like until I turned nine which is when I got to go to Mexico to visit him. 
and you know unfortunately my sister like she couldn't go because she went she couldn't come back so she didn't get to see him for longer than I did but when I went to Mexico I just kind of like fell in love and I don't know if it was because I wanted to have my family back together Hmm. but I think I really loved Mexico I like I could walk everywhere I like didn't have to ask for rides you know I didn't have to go sell at the flea market I could just like you know be a kid again like with my dad and I made friends all my my family you know I met my grandma for the first time and like I remember she took me to like Las Maquinitas (laughs) we won like 200 pesos like we went from five pesos to 200 and my grandma's like the like biggest Christian she would never but like for me she like went to Las Maquinitas with me so I just kind of like I came back and I was like you know what mom like you can stay here with my sister but I'm gonna move with my dad and so my mom was like hold up like no so then we were here for one more year and then I just kept telling her like I want to go like I want to go and so it was like through me she was like okay and so when I was 10 and my sister was 13 we moved back and my sister like she was like so against it Mm. and I understand why now like back then I was like why wouldn't you want to go back to Mexico and be with my dad and like reunite our family but I mean she knew she couldn't come back you know she knew she was undocumented she knew that like once we made that step like she wouldn't and I mean she hasn't been back since and she's 25 so yeah she was 13 when we left so you lived in Mexico for like three years you said right two or three years and then you you came back I lived in Mexico for five years years, so I was 10 when we got there and I was 15 when I came back and I mean when I moved there it wasn't like that was the plan from the beginning it wasn't like oh she's gonna come and then she's gonna leave it was just like we're moving back for good Mm -hmm. but then you know I did elementary school like I because in Mexico it's like till sixth grade so I graduated fifth grade and then I had to graduate sixth grade over there um and then I went to middle school and I started high school and you know as you grow older I feel like you start facing you know harsh realities and for a time I got to be like a kid in Mexico that didn't really have to like think about these things like I did in America but it comes to a time when you see like your peers that get like murdered you know for Mm. sometimes for nothing like you don't even know like were they a part you know of bad you know mafia like whatever you want to call it or were they just like innocent like I mean I had like a really dear friend of mine who like got killed coming from a party and like I I like to me he wasn't I mean I knew him like we had lunch together almost every day and like I I don't he wasn't he didn't hang around he wasn't like that type of guy and he still fell in that trap you know so and then women like to be a woman in Mexico especially today and back then it's like to be a it's like a death sentence you know like 10 women get killed every day in Mexico so I think everything was just like adding up and I kept seeing these and I'm like I'm not secure here like I'm starting to fear when I walk um I like opportunities you start growing up and it's like I if I want to be a reporter like I am not going to be able to be a reporter in Mexico because they get killed for trying to find out the truth and like trying to fight corruption and you know my dad was like you should go back but he was always the one to put that idea in my head he was always the one like you need to go back and like get an education over there you can do it like you have like you're a citizen like why wouldn't you do it Mm -hmm. and my mom was always the one that was like no like you're not leaving the house you know like she'd be like she'd be like you know kind of ignoring when we would have the conversation like she'd be like I'm not listening she was always really like against it and I I mean I I was 15 like I feel like when you're young you take like you act out of impulsion you know I was like yeah I'm gonna go to America like it's gonna be fine you know I'm just gonna go I'm gonna go get education like (laughs) it's everything's gonna be fine 
but how how did it that's a huge decision right yeah. to make to leave like your 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 family you again 15, right because that's what right? you were 15 yeah. so mm-hmm. um how did your life change when you came back here that's that's, that's the point where yeah. i met you right in high school who were you like staying with like yeah. what was life like here like on your own like you were not even an adult yet you know i think like it didn't really hit me and you know i still had my quinceañera Mm-hmm. So, like, I had my quinceañera in August, and I left in October. Mm-hmm. So, it was, like, my quinceañera, like, my going away party, and it was, like, big. Like, there was, like, 2,000 people there. Wow. <laughs> yeah, and everyone would come up, like, you know, you have time to rethink it. Like, you really want to go. And my aunts would tell my parents, like, están locos. Ella solamente se va a ir a embarazar, you know? Like, oh. they'd be, like, I mean, she's, a, she's like, a kid, like, she's gonna go get pregnant and like that's all she's gonna go do and then I was like I'm always that person that's like okay I'm gonna prove you wrong like <laughs> like you know like you think I'm that girl like you I've never even had a boyfriend so like why are you putting me in when I was here I think leaving my parents was the hardest part like I didn't really think about it until the day we went to the airport and like I was like if you turn around and look at them and like see them crying while you're crying like you're not gonna like leave. So like, I was just like, you just need to get on the airplane and then like never look back. And then once I was here, I was like suffering. I mean, I cried almost every night cause I still slept with my mom up to that point. Like I slept with her every night. So I like, it was probably really hard for her to let me go. But I was like, I'm not going back. Like, this is like what I'm gonna do. Like I have a purpose and like, no matter how much I'm suffering here, like I'm not, I'm not going back. Mm-hmm. Who were you staying with when, when you were here? Were you with family? Um, and obviously, if, if it was family, it's not your parents. So what was that like? Yeah. You know, I feel like that's... I stayed with, like, my stepsister's mom. And um, honestly, she was, like, the nicest. Like, she was trying to be as welcoming as she could be. and. I feel like up to that point, my mom had only like taught my sister. Cause you know, like Mexicanos, they think que la hija más grande se va a casar primero and then she has time to like teach her youngest daughter. Yeah. So my sister was the one that would like learn how to cook, learn how to clean. And I was always the one that was like, oh, ya está chiquita, you know, ya le enseño cuando se vaya a ser hermana. Yeah. So when I came here, it's like, I really, I mean, I was just a kid, so, like, I didn't, I don't think I, like, I didn't know how to cook. Mm-hmm. I I barely cleaned, so, like, you know, como dice mi mamá, like, el muerto y el arrimado a los tres días apesta. <laughs> and, like, I found that saying to be true wherever I went, because, I mean, people do things differently, and your parents are, like, the only ones that will, like, take you as you are you know and like have patience with you mm-hmm. and we paid rent with her we paid like I think like 500 a month so honestly I left there because we were behind on rent like always we were always like behind a thousand dollars like we couldn't afford it I had like a job with my sister on the weekends but I made like 20 dollars so it was just like not enough and we had an uncle here in North Carolina who was like oh like if she goes to school here, she can stay with me for free. And so at that time, that sounded like the best decision for my parents, because I really had no say, because I mean, I wanted to go back to Chicago, I was just starting to like, I had tried out for like a club soccer team and made it and like, I mean, I loved, but like my sister, you know, she's young, like my stepsister, she was young. So I don't think she wanted to have the responsibility of taking care of me anymore. Because I mean, I, I get where she was coming from. Like, she's young. She didn't have kids. Like, why would she? She's just like, my my dad kind of just threw me at her, you know? Mm-hmm. So I came to North Carolina. How? Yeah, I remember that when you told me. I was like, no, you had one more year. But, you know, um, I know that, like, it was a difficult decision for you because you had your friends. Like you said, you know, you, you, had, you had your little crew already and you were doing sports. I know you were playing soccer, right, at the school um and um we missed you so much when you left like i think that, that we always like talked like oh you know which we wish she were she were still here 
but how was that like you know that transition to a different state that was far away and like having to sort of start over again um in a different house without your parents right how did that senior year work out and then like um that's also the year you applied to colleges so how did that work how was that that must have been a stressful situation for you to be alone navigating all of that mm-hmm. i remember like when i was in chicago and i got there as a sophomore they made me take the act and i didn't even know what it was i didn't even know i was like what am i doing they're like you're taking an exam and i was like for what like i mean i could my english was probably even worse than it is now like i had a strong accent you know i was very mexican like with my <laughs> Mexican boots and Mexican like everything and so I took the ACT when I was in Chicago without even knowing what it was so my score was like an 18 and which is I mean you know what I'm proud of it because I probably my English was bad I didn't even know I was taking the ACT like (laughs) but when I came here I was like honestly like it was worse than in Chicago, like the situation at home, Mm -hmm. I wasn't allowed to do sports anymore. So he was like, you're going to school, you can go to work and you can go to the gym with like us, like him and his family. Mm -hmm. So like, that was all the things I was allowed to do. So I wasn't able to like do any clubs, any sports. And I, I mean, I wasn't the best at soccer, like, cause I was never really allowed to play. I think I started like old, but I really loved it. Like it was like, you know I think exercise you know it just clears your mind so that was a bum and then just like doing the same things over and over and I would always like tell my parents like I'm not happy here like I I you know I try to do my best I try to like clean you know as much as I can I try you know I'm really trying and it's just like it's not enough for them like I'm always like getting in trouble I try to take care of their kids so that they can be happy and like um, still like not being enough for them mm-hmm. and so my dad would be like you're about to be 18 like as soon as you're 18 you can leave like you just wait it out like you know just wait it out mm-hmm. and so that's that was always their answer and that's what I was trying to do so I don't think college was ever in my mind because I had like I was not happy I was not worrying mm-hmm. about college at all probably until my senior year and that's when like everything like got worse (laughs) so when I was like a senior um I remember it was prom and I still hadn't applied to any colleges okay like I feel like when you're a kid like especially when you're a kid of an immigrant you don't really even know how to get to college Mm -hmm. it's like nobody tells you and when you're someone like me who like doesn't even have her parents here or nobody to help her because you know the people I live with, they never went to college and their kids were like elementary school still. So it's like, I hadn't applied. I I knew I was going, but I didn't know how. And when I was like the day before prom, I remember that I'd asked my dad, like, oh, like I asked the woman to take me to get my nails done. And she said, yes, but today her head hurts. Like, can I ask one of my friends for a ride? And then like, just to get my nails done, you know, I want to look cute. Like it's the I mean, it's prom, you know, every girl wants to look cute. And so my dad was like, yeah, just go and I'll, I'll call your uncle and I'll tell him that I gave you permission. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh yeah, you know, cause sometimes I'd go through my dad. Cause I'd be like, okay, if my dad says yes. Like they can't say no. Right. So um, I remember I'm getting my nails done, right? I'm probably getting a pedicure and like getting like manicure. I didn't even get fake nails. It was just like gel. And um, the lady calls me and she was like, hey, like my head doesn't hurt anymore. I can take you to get your nails done. And then I was like, oh, like, I'm already here. I was like, my friend picked me up and I came. I was like, I'm going to go back as soon as it's over. You know, that's all we're doing. And then she was like, oh, like, what do you mean you're there? Like, this is not a hotel. Like, you can't just come and go as you please. And I was, and she just like started going off. And I was like, no, like my dad said I could come. And he said that he would tell your husband. And so then I called my mom who calls my dad. And then they're like, I told him. And then my uncle's like, you didn't tell me. And my dad's saying, I told him. And I'm like, so who's who's lying here? But like, my mom is like, just you have one more month before you finish high school. Like, just go back and act like nothing happened. You know, like you always do and just be happy. And I was like, okay, I'm just going to go back and act like nothing happened. And I remember when I got there, like their daughter opened the door and she was like, oh, mommy said you can't come in because you left without permission. 
And I swear that she was there standing and she heard when her daughter said that. And I called my mom, I was like, oh, they didn't let me in. And then my mom's like, let me call her. And so then I'm like standing outside with my friend. Um, her name's Raven, my friend Raven and I, like we're standing outside and I could just hear her like screaming, like my mom or her and my mom are going back and forth. <laughs> and I'm just like, okay, like what's gonna happen? And then my mom, like they hang up and mom's like, you're packing your bags, you have to go. Like, you're not staying there. And I'm looking at Raven and, you know, I'm like, what do you mean? And she's like, yeah, you just, you have to go. Like, go pack your stuff and you're leaving. And then Raven's like, you know, we can do, I was like, I was scared. I was like, how am I going to go in there and get my stuff? Like, I, I'm always been like non-confrontational. And then Raven's like, I'm going to go in there with you. Like, it'll be fine. Honestly, if it wasn't for Raven, I don't, I don't know what I would have done. Cause she was like putting on a brave face and like, cause they were just there like staring us down. And she was like saying like, you're a liar. Like my daughter never said that. And I was like, I wouldn't make this up. Like I, like I, she, you were right there. And she's like, I wasn't there. I didn't hear her say that. And so I just like packed my stuff. And that was the night before prom. Mm -hmm. I had my prom dress. I had bought it and I'd paid it like um, in payments because I was working at the mall at Reebok um, for like, since I was like 17. So um, I took my stuff and that night, like I slept at Raven's house. Like I stayed with Raven that night in the night of prom and I like she had a date and I kind of like went tagged long so it was like the three of us but like I mean that was a fun night even though I felt like I was like you know I mean it was fine for that time but I knew that at some point like I had to find somewhere to go and so the Monday I went to like school and I went to my counselor and I was like look this is what happened his name was Mr. Toscano. And like, I was like, my uncle, I know him. I was like, he's going to come here today and he's going to like try to make a scene. I was like, whatever you do, do not call me down. I don't want to see them. Like, I, like, I, I just don't want to deal with that. And I was like, cause he had said, he's like, I'm going to like take you out of high school. Like, that's what I'm going to do. That was his like revenge to like, you know, stop my education. And I was like, they're going to try to take me out. Like, I, I want to finish high school. I was like, just tell him I'm in class. Tell him you can't call me down. And I go after school and I'm like, so did he come? He's like, yeah, he came. And I was like, I knew it. Like, I just, I knew it. And he was like, he tried to like unenroll you. But I told him that, you know, because you're still 17, the law says that he can't unenroll you unless he's going to enroll you somewhere else. And because he said he wasn't, what we did is that he's not your guardian anymore. And um, you're going to be on like, um McKinley Vento status so basically like homeless you know that's the homeless like child being homeless and I was like okay like that's that's fine and then he was like let's sit down and think like what are you gonna do next he was like are you gonna go to like a group home like who like family like he was like I would recommend you to like not go to like a group home or like you know foster care he was like they're not the best experiences and then I was like, okay, well, I just need to talk to my parents. And then we like connected with like some family friends that we had here. And they were the co-owners of the business my dad opened. Mm -hmm. And she was like, um, so this is my, they're just family friends, but I called her Tia and Tio, you know, Latinos, we tend to do that. So mi tia Sonia and mi tio Goyo. And they like came to pick me up. They were like, yeah, like we have an extra room. We just have to clean it. Like you're welcome there they saw us like grow up and yeah she just like welcomed me and honestly like I can say that that's the one place where like I've been like the most comfortable and I like she became like a second mom to me mm -hmm. so um obviously now like you're you're almost about to finish college um you've done all these successful things uh, in regards to journalism you made it through you know high school and all those tough situations, like home situations, finding a home, you know? Yeah. At such a young age, yeah. right? Like, you, most kids are worrying about what prom dress they're going to wear, yeah. or like, getting in trouble for, like, you know, like, extending their curfew that day, and you're yeah. over here thinking about 
where am I going to live tomorrow? Yeah. Right. Like that's tough. And you mentioned that uh, when you, while you were at Nancy's in Nancy's classroom, that she gave you a certificate for always smiling. <laughs> she so, was always smiling, though. Like, that's what I like admire so much about yeah. Patsy is that I knew her home situation. Like, I didn't know everything. Like, I knew what she would tell me. Mm-hmm. And I, I would tell her always, like, I always worry about you. But also as a first year teacher, I'm like, what are the limits of how much I can do for her? You know, yeah. but like I knew and like I, I would I would always talk to her about my like to my family, like, oh, I have this student who's here alone. Mm-hmm. I just couldn't understand the situation. Not thinking mm-hmm. about it back then. I'm like, you know, that that's that's so tough. Like you were a child yeah. basically on your own. Um, how did you end up go, like you? You were basically like homeless for like a weekend and like and then you found someone you know, your parents helped you find someone else. But it's a different house. Right. So you changed houses like three times already. Um, when did you know, I know you did like in, when you uh, finished your uh, associates, you got like you were like valedictorian, if I'm if I'm not mistaken. And how how did you do that? Like, how did you end up being yeah. able to achieve that? Because you weren't even thinking about college. And then two years later, here you are, la más chingona de la clase. Yeah. Like, how did you know how did that, you were always intelligent? You always yeah. I mean, you were always an A or B student. But like, how did you know, how did that happen? And also, like. How did you keep smiling through the whole yes. that whole thing? Like, You're smiling you, now. <laughs> yeah, like how do you how did you find a way to smile through, you know, um, you're alone in this country, your family's back home, and you're struggling to find a place to to call home. You know. Wow, I feel like I have so many answers. <laughs> but before I say something, honestly, Ms. Dominguez, I feel like you did like so much for me. Like I remember, and I still have it today. The jacket that you gave me because I didn't have a jacket. I'm getting emotional. Uh, <laughs> I remember that. <laughs> and literally, it's still in my closet. It's crazy. Like, I feel like those are the stuff that like keep me grounded, you know. And like always smiling is just like there are nice people like that helped me like along the way. Whether it was like the jacket or Mister. T- Toscano, like, he used to, like, sneak me food after high school. And, like, so that nobody would see. Or, like, you know, my tia Sonia, she was always there for me. Because, like, I feel like everything got worse before it got better. Because, like, my uncle, like, he literally, like, you would think that he'd give up. You know, I moved out. Like, I'm with a new family. But he came he came to my aunt's house to tell them that like I was a bad girl and like that they shouldn't let me stay with them that he wanted me to go back with him and my and he was like and you know she does drugs and he shows this is so funny he shows my aunt a like picture of ibuprofen in my bag and my because my cousin was there my cousin told me the story after and then he was like my mom's like that's ibuprofen like what are you doing and then (laughs) my cousin said that his mom was just like laughing he's like look like I've known her all my life and if she's the way that you said that she is then I'll get to know her but she's not going anywhere and then he was like well I'm gonna call the police because you kidnapped like um a kid and then she was like call the police like you're undocumented I'm not so let's see who loses and then that's the only way that he left her house was that she like kind of threatened him and so after he left her house he showed up at my work. And so I was working at Reebok and I'm at the register, you know, working and I'm already going through a lot. Like, you know, like I'm like my mental health at that point was like bad. And he shows up and he, like, I see them walk in and I'm, you know, attending to a customer, I'm checking them out. And I'm like, trying not to freak out in front of the customer. And I'm like, it's about to get real. (laughs) And they just start screaming at me like in front of the customer, in front of my manager, in front of my coworkers, and I just start crying. And he just like saying all these things. And I don't remember exactly what was said because it was just like all a blur, you know? And I run towards the back and he's like following me. And so I go into the back room cause I'm just like, I'm just trying to hide. And then he's like following me, trying to go into the back room. But then one of my coworkers came out and was like, he stood up because my manager like I mean they didn't know what was happening they didn't know what to do so it wasn't until my coworker was like you need to go or I'm gonna make you go like they were about to get in a physical fight because he was just like screaming like and that's when like my parents were like I'm gonna address them like if we have to put a restraining order that's what we're gonna do 
And until this day, I don't understand why that was going on. Like I already left your house. Like I didn't take anything. Like I didn't, y'all didn't give me any money. Like I don't owe you anything. Right. I don't know. Like what's like, I, I, I don't understand like what was the issue? Like why he wanted me back. Like, I, I mean, I don't get it till this day. And actually, um, when I had already gotten to college at UNC, like last year, I received a call and it was him trying to like sit, apologize. And like, he's like, my kids really miss you. And like, you know, my, especially my daughter, cause like she had a daughter and like, I used to be like really close to them, like help her with her homework. And she was like, she wants to see you. Like we could drive up to university. And I was like, you know what? I'm in class. Like, I'm going to call you later. And then that was like, I never called him. I blocked that number. Cause he had called me from a different number from like a private number. I mean, he knew I didn't want nothing to do with him. Not after like all that show and him going around telling people that like I was a prostitute and that I had drugs. And I was like, first of all, I'm still a virgin. Like, what are you doing? So it was that whole experience sucked. And there was like some people in Mexico that like believed what he was saying. And if it wasn't for my aunt, that was like always there to stand up for me. And she was like, she's not the girl you're describing. Like, I don't understand what the obsession was, but that was like going on. And so I was still finishing high school while all this is like happening. And I'm like meeting with Mr. Toscano, like, re- like you know, a lot because he gives me food, like after school food for me to take. And then I applied to UNCC and I got in, but there was like no financial aid. And I kept like calling the office, like, hey, like I'm, you know, I have McKinley Vento status, which says I'm homeless. Like my parents are not here. Like I need a full ride or else I can't go to college. Like there's no way I'm going to pay for anything. And their office was really bad at communicating. I never like, I submitted every document they wanted. I never heard back. And it was like, at this point I had already graduated. So it was, so Mr. Toscano was like, okay, like I know about this community college, like Central Piedmont. He's like, it's really good. You could just go there, you know, just go. And so my cousin drove me and they were really helpful, like really nice. Like I enrolled, um, I applied, I got in and then I enrolled. They gave me in-state and financial aid from the government, like covered it completely because it's a community college. So that's how I got to like go to school. And then once I was there, like my first year, I like, I started to become like really active. Like I was like in Rotorac, which was the service and then like in student government and I was taking classes. My aunt and uncle like would take turns like driving me there and back. And then my second semester, I just used like my financial aid money that was left over to like purchase a car that was like 1996, (laughs) it barely got me there and back, but it was like something. And um, my second, that, that first year, my parents, they got divorced. Like everything was just like bad. And I think that's really like when I got lost, like for the first time, like I could endure apparently everything else. But like once I felt like my sense of like the only sense of home and family I had like back home was gone. That's when I like I would just be in my room like depressed. Like I have the lights off, like I wouldn't come out. And I didn't care about school anymore. Like, I just, like, I wasn't, I wasn't myself. And then my aunt, like, she would write me notes every day and she'd leave them on my door. Like, come on, like, you have to, you know, like, pray, like, you're going to come out of this. It's going to be okay. Mm -hmm. And she's the reason, like, why I, like, started to get better. And, like, I remember in Central Piedmont, my one of my advisors recommended that I apply for Camp Cheerio, which was a leadership conference. Mm-hmm. And then at that leadership conference, um, the first day, they were like, oh, we're gonna do an exercise. Like everybody, like we were in groups and my group, um, it was like six other students and Ms. Jen. And there, she was like, oh, like draw your home. And like everyone had to like go up there and present their home. And I was like, well, what am I going to draw? Because I don't know what to draw. Like, and so I just went up there with an empty piece of paper and I just like cried because I had no idea, like what to say, what to draw. 
And so I feel like for the first time, I finally like just said everything that had been going on. Like I just stood up there and I like cried and I just like said everything. Like my dad got deported. Like I left, I went to Mexico. I came back, like I got kicked out. And then like everyone was crying. It was so like, everyone was bawling. And Ms. Jen, like since that day, she like took me under her wing. Like she became like another mom. Mm -hmm. And she made sure that like I had groceries, like she'd buy me groceries and one day my car like it needed a new battery and I couldn't afford it so she bought it so I could keep going to school and like this is a lady that like I had just like met for like a few months and she was just like showing up for you know and that's that's who she is though like she showed like I'm not the only student that she's helped like that she's an incredible like amazing woman and she submitted my name for like many awards so like I got like North Carolina academic excellence like I got to meet like Governor Cooper and I kind of told him like a little bit about like being like a daughter of immigrants and like you know not having a home and so he like created like a scholarship for homeless students after that and it was pretty nice and then I became the commencement speaker they had like that year the year I was graduating they were going to have a student speaker at graduation for the very first time in like 65 years and they were like accepting like submissions and Miss Jen like she like submitted and then I had like an interview and I just like I was like well you know if I get up there I probably just like say my story so that people can be inspired and like people like you know that had like their parents deported like they can be like they can know that like you can go somewhere and I got chosen so like I gave the commencement speech. So I was like the first student in 65 years to ever. I think the person who gave it before me was Joe Biden, the White House, like first lady. Oh, wow. <laughs> so that's pretty cool. Yeah, she was like the speaker before me. And I applied to UNC. And because I like applied as my own, because I'm an independent like student, I got a full ride here. So that's the only reason why I got to come to university was because I got a full ride based on like my income, which I only make like 7,000 a year on my own, you know, part-time. So speaking about um, inspiring students, what are some consejitos that um, you can give other, other students that might be right now living through what so, you lived through, mm-hmm. or even just um, anyone that, that has been affected by de- deportation and then as a result, there's like family separation. And experiencing homeless, being yeah, homeless and, and like, yeah. you know, like there's so many obstacles. Like what are some consejitos that you would give to others based on your experience mm-hmm. uh, and your, your life uh, experiences? I would definitely say that like your feelings are validated and like you're not crazy. I feel like for so long I thought that I was like overreacting like you know whatever I'd gone through like that wasn't an excuse for me to like be in my room you know depressed and like it's not like statistically like kids who are separated from their parents you know they're anxious they're stressed more they're depressed like these these are studies that like have found and I recently started looking into them like this past like months And I'm like, I feel so validated. And, but even if those studies didn't exist, like your feelings are validated, like what the, you know, what the immigration system has done to you or, you know, what the system in general has done to you. Like if you're homeless, but it's not for immigration, like your feelings are valid. And I know it's like hard. That's what I would say. Like, I know it's hard, but you have to find a purpose and you have to know like why you're doing it. Cause for me, it was always like, if I stop now, like what kind of image, what kind of like message am I sending to like the little girls back in Mexico? Like my cousins who like, you know, are just kind of aspiring to be wives or like they know that there's not many opportunities. Like what kind of message am I sending them? What kind of message am I gonna like send the Latinx community and like as a whole? And it just like, that's what kept me going was like always wanting to be like a role model you know, yeah. even though I'm not the best or like not are, the perfect role model, but just like <laughs> just wanting to like inspire people to come after me and be like, you can do it. Like it doesn't matter your situation. 
if you just like work hard, ask for help when you need it. Cause I, like, I took long to ask for help, but if I hadn't asked for help, I probably wouldn't be here. So like asking for help, it's not embarrassing, but you just like need to do it. And, you know, look for opportunities and just keep striving to do better. Mm-hmm. I think it'll be cool to end if you can just tell us like, um, what are your plans? I know you're a senior, you're about to graduate. Yeah. What are your plans for the future? Where do you see Patsy in like five, five years? Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's a tough question. <laughs> I, like, that's such a... For so long, I thought I wanted to be a reporter and everything in my life that like drives me is immigration and bringing light to like these issues because it's so much more than just families getting deported it's like what happens to these families like they're forever changed you know there's like long-lasting impacts on children on usa born children and nobody's talking about it like nobody's talking about like my stress my anxiety my mental health issues you know like they're talking about oh like 500 immigrants got deported yeah everyone sat on twitter for a day and then people move on or like you know family separation at the border and everyone's sad for a day and then people move on it's like no like these are long-lasting effects that i will forever carry with me that kids will forever carry with them i mean like like you know many like probably like almost a million people have been deported that had like children like I submit records to Congress every year that you can Google online and you can see how many they've deported that have children. So I feel like for so long, I kind of wanted to bring light to this, but now I'm like, okay, if I really want to make a change, like, should I be involved in public policy where I can like push for policy? So in five years, hopefully whatever I'm doing, I'm just like creating and creating change and like making the life of like immigrant kids better so that they don't have to go through like what I went through. Yeah. That's beautiful. Thank um, you so much for, for sharing your story. Um, it's very impactful and um, powerful. And I'm sure that anyone who listens is, is going to be moved or identifying with you. Like I know that it has really affected our Latino community, but now even other communities. Um, but yes, uh, I I, I'm just <laughs> um, I can't wait to see the change that you're going to make, because I know that you're like really you're an intelligent person that's super dedicated and you you will make change. So wherever you're at, whether it's public policy or journalism, like I know that we're going to hear the amazing things you're going to do. Um, and once again, I'm so proud of you. Thank you so much for joining us and for sharing, opening up your heart you know, and sharing this story with others that like Rosario said uh, we're 100% sure it's going to motivate other youth mm-hmm. and people who have experienced this as well. Thank yes. you so much. So, uh, gracias también a todos por escuchar nuestro podcast. Remember to follow us on social media, uh, all Instagram, uh, YouTube, Facebook. Give us a like. Follow us uh, as Watchame Podcast. Gracias. Hasta luego. Hasta luego.